Nobody asked you, Kevin! Folks, it's been a while, right? Um, yeah, it really has. Last episode of Nobody Asked You Kevin was, I believe, over a month ago. But I'm back with episode 47 today. A lot's going on in the world right now. I hope you're staying safe among COVID-19. And yes, it's still out there, people. So please, wear your masks, social distance whenever possible, do it out of respect for others. Don't be an asshole. Life isn't always about you. Anyways, hope you're doing fine. Hope you're safe. Hope you're well. Again, wear a mask. No, you aren't giving up any of your rights. No, you won't suffer some sort of weird bacterial infection or carbon dioxide poisoning. But you know what you may do? You may help prevent transmission of the virus. Your mask is to protect others, and others' masks are, to, are there to protect you. It's about mutual respect and mutual safety. So again, don't be an asshole. Wear a mask. All right, Let's get to why we are here today, the meat and potatoes of the show today. If you know me, you know that late 60s, early 70s rock music is my thing. Especially in that wheelhouse, that area of 67 to 74, 75. It, that, in that area, that's the formation of modern hard rock and heavy metal. That's where we get those uh, those formative years. That's where we get the foundations laid for what is now modern hard rock and, and heavy metal. This During these years, 67 to 75, you kind of have the psychedelic rock era. And the psychedelic rock blends into the harder-edged rock music, all while maintaining a bit of blues rock in there as well. So back in episode 30 of this podcast, I did a short profile on Deep Purple, uh, their history, their music. Purple is one of my favorite bands ever, but they are just one of the originators of hard rock and metal. So when talking about these so-called originators of, of rock and metal, these early bands, the ones that forged the path in the late 60s and early 70s, you, you hear about Deep Purple, you hear about Black Sabbath, you hear about Led Zeppelin, but Grand Funk Railroad is a band that kind of gets forgotten about. You don't hear about them very much. And because of this, I kind of want to talk about them for a bit. Uh, these guys are near and dear to my heart, uh, so let's just take the next 20, 25, 30 minutes, whatever it's going to take and talk about Grand Funk Railroad. The numbers all go to 11. So Grand Funk Railroad, you have Mark Farner, Don Brewer, and Mel Shaker 
Uh, they formed as a trio band in 1969 out of Flint, Michigan. Farner was on vocals and guitar, Brewer was on vocals and drums, and Shaker was on bass guitar. They named themselves Grand Funk Railroad as a play on the local Grand Trunk Western Railroad, which was a train line that ran through Illinois, Indiana, and Lower Michigan. Grand Funk patterned themselves after the power trio Cream. Yes, that Cream, Jack Bruce, Eric Clapton, and Ginger Baker. So, Grand Funk was a trio, a power trio. They first gained notoriety when they played the Atlanta International Pop Festival held July 4th and 5th of 1969, which occurred just over a month before the famous Woodstock Festival which was held August 14th, 15th of that same year in 69. Estimated attendance of the Atlanta Pop Festival 1 was somewhere around 80 to 150,000 people. And if you actually look up the lineup of the festival, there are some heavy hitters of the late 60s playing there. You've got bands like Canned Heat, Joe Cocker, Creedence Clearwater Revival, CCR, Tommy James and the Shondells, Janis Joplin, and then Led Zeppelin played there as well. In August of 69, Grand Funk released their first studio album on Capitol Records. It was titled On Time. It went gold the following year in 1970. All songs were written by Mark Farner. Singles from the album included uh, songs called Time Machine and another song called Heartbreaker. And I want to I want you to listen to a bit of heartbreaker especially the ending of this song it's a fantastic song but this is really just primitive unapologetic 70s hard rock at its best
So after the first album in 69 and went gold in 70 on time went gold grand funk released their second album which is commonly known as the red album but it's titled grand funk and they released it in december of 69 as well so they had one album in august of 69 second album in december of 69 and you'll see when we get talking about the timeline here they released several albums over a small amount of time And this is how it was commonly done back in the day. You didn't wait one or two or three years between albums. You put out an album every year or multiple albums every year. So again, Grand Funk released their second album, which is titled Grand Funk, in December of 69. And there are really some two real standout songs on this album, in my opinion. The songs are called Paranoid, and another song is a cover version of the Animals song Inside Looking Out. So I want to give you just a taste of Paranoid because I think this is really an excellent song. And it's a it's it's the epitome of early Grand Funk Railroad before they became really pop rock or popular rock music. Grand Funk began to hit a nice flow in the early 70s. Their third album, Closer to Home, was released in June of 1970. Standout songs from that album were a song called Mean Mean Mistreater and then I'm Your Captain, Closer to Home. And this album is is, not in, in your face as the previous two albums, but it's classic rock. Uh, part anger, part rock and roll, but it's a this album especially. It's it's a good look into post '60s rock music. And honestly, I'm sure you'll probably once we play a little bit of "I'm Your Captain," I'm sure you're going to recognize it. 
if you, I mean, once you hear it, because it's the apex of the album. I'm only going to play a bit of it. I won't play all of it. It's just, it's, it's, I believe it's a shade over 10 minutes long. So it's a long song. Personally, it's my favorite Grand Funk song of all time. So if, if you think about the time it was released, this was June 1970. The Vietnam War was happening or was going on. There were things happening at the time that were there was political unrest. And the song really did become a song for soldiers in Vietnam, thinking about home, longing for home, longing to be closer to home. Anyways, here's a bit of I'm Your Captain Closer to Home. Grand Funk played the Atlanta Pop Festival again in July of 70 alongside acts like uh, the, the Allman Brothers, the Jimi Hendrix Experience, B.B. King, Moth the Hoople, Mountain, Pro Cole Harum, and even the Bob Seger system played there, which was, if you didn't know, was the, the name that Bob Seger recorded under for the last part of the 60s and early 70s. Jimi Hendrix, like I said, performed at this uh 
at this festival. And he actually performed his rendition of the Star Spangled Banner right around midnight on July 4th. And he was accompanied by fireworks and it was a big spectacle. And when you think about this timing here, this was July of 1970. It's kind of hard to imagine that Jimi Hendrix would go on to do a couple of more performances over the next couple of months, but then he would be found deceased in September of 70. He died in September of 70, only a couple of months after this performance at the Atlanta Pop Festival. Grand Funk's uh, first live album, appropriately titled Grand Funk Live Album, was released in November of 70. So again, we're releasing albums, multiple albums per year. Uh, This live album, it's a really nice live hard rock album, in my opinion, which I listen to still quite a bit to this day. A lot of the critics at the time didn't like it, but there's still no denying that in 1970, Grand Funk Railroad put on a hell of a live rock show. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you check this live album out because it is a really nice one. 1971 rolls around. Grand Funk Railroad sells out Shea Stadium in New York, home of the Mets. And they sold it out faster than the Beatles did in 1965, which is quite the accomplishment in my opinion. They sold out Shea Stadium in 72 hours, which um, the Beatles took, I believe it was approximately two to three weeks to sell out Shea Stadium. And they actually equaled the Beatles' attendance record since they sold it out. Uh, At that point in time, in 65, the Beatles um, uh, set the attendance record for a live show at Shea Stadium at 55,600 people in attendance. Grand Funk equaled that in less time, in three days versus two to three weeks. And just a fun fact for you, uh, Led Zeppelin would actually later go on to break the Shea attendance record Uh, with 56,800 people in 73, so just a a couple of years later. Grand Funk released its fourth and fifth studio albums in 71. So again, I'm going to keep hammering on this. They released their first studio album in 69. And now we're up to 71, and they're already releasing their fifth studio album in a couple of years. In 71, they released two albums, one called Survival, and the other called E Pluribus Funk. Uh, Survival contains cover versions of uh, Traffic's 1968 original song, Feelin' Alright, which would later be covered more famously by Joe Cocker in 69. Uh, And it also contains the Rolling Stones song, Gimme Shelter, and Grand Funk Railroad's version of Gimme Shelter is on Survival. Survival itself was received with lukewarm reception, though, from critics. Uh, e Pluribus Funk, kind of a coy play on the motto of the United States, E Pluribus Unum, meaning out of many, one, was received with mixed reviews as well. There is some good stuff on these two albums. I really do enjoy the opening track of uh, E Pluribus Funk. It's called Foot Stompin' Music. It's an upbeat, fun rock song that you can't help to move yourself to. So here's a clip of Foot Stompin' Music. Everybody want to. Everybody want to. Everybody 
after E Pluribus Funk, uh, Turmoil started to hit the band. I mean, they had been touring, they had been releasing lots of music, recording and, and releasing lots of music over a short amount of time. Uh, the, brand, the band grew kind of tired of their manager. His name was Terry Knight. He'd been with them since the beginning, and they fired him in 72. So what do you think Terry Knight does? Does he go off into the sunset? Nah. He sues the band for breach of contract, which leads to a two-year legal battle, which ended up in an out-of-court settlement, as these things typically do. Uh, it was so contentious, though, that... Even like at, at a concert in Mad- Madison Square Garden in New York, Terry Knight repossessed the band's gear prior to them trying to perform. In the end, after everything was settled, uh, Farner, Brewer, and Shaker were given the rights to the Grand Funk Railroad name, and Terry Knight had copyrights and royalties to all Grand Funk Railroad recordings from March of 69 to March of 72. Uh, he was also paid a large sum of cash, which was undisclosed. And if you remember the old TV show uh, on VH1, uh, Video Hits 1, the, the, the television show or television channel, uh, Behind the Music was the show. There's an entire episode dedicated to Grand Funk, and all of this is actually discussed there, probably in more detail than what I'm doing here. Uh, but it's a great episode. You should go watch that or if you can. Grand Funk uh, expanded with a fourth full-time member in 72 as well. So they get rid of their manager in 72. They add a fourth member. Because re- originally, remember, they tried to be a power trio. And they did this for a few years. Uh, but they wanted a fourth full-time member to kind of expand their capabilities, expand their scope. So they originally tried to go after Peter Frampton. At that time, he had left Humble Pie in 1971, and this is 72. But unfortunately, Peter Frampton was unavailable as he was signed to another record label and he couldn't come over. Um, But uh, Grand Funk added a person named Craig Frost on keyboards. And another fun fact about this is that Frost would later leave Grand Funk in 77, join Bob Seger's band, the newly formed Silver Bullet Band. And it's not that Grand Funk didn't have a keyboard player before 72. Uh, Farner actually played all keyboards on previous albums. But this addition of Craig Frost uh, was as a full-time member was uh, the first full expansion of the Power Trio. And it really did add a new dimension to their music. Uh, Grand Funk was a rock and roll in-your-face garage rock band. But that addition of Craig Frost led them to the ability to branch out into more rhythm and blues and an even more popular rock music, which we'll see here soon. Phoenix, their sixth studio album, came in 72 as well. It was self-produced, and it shows. I mean, there there isn't much too memorable off this album. It's a pretty throwaway record. I don't really like any of the songs off the record. It's just not good. Grad and Funk then decided to try to recruit a new producer because since that record didn't do so hot, um, they went after Todd Rundgren at the time. And Grand Funk released We're an American Band, their seventh studio album in 73. 
The album became their best received album at that point. The opening track lead single, Wear an American Band, a song in which Don Brewer took over on lead vocals from Mark Mark Farner, uh, became a classic rock staple. You can't turn a classic rock station on in the on the radio and not hear this song at some point in the day. Shining On, the eighth studio album, was released in 74. 
It was even better received by critics at the time. Uh, the record included a cover of The Locomotion, which was written in 62 by Jerry Goffin and Carol King, and originally performed by Little Eva in 62 as well. It was probably made more famous in 88 when it was done by Kylie Minogue. The ninth studio album arrived in 74 as well, so they released their eighth and ninth in 74. And this album was called All the Girls in the World Beware. Uh, Todd, Todd Rundgren did not produce this one, but Jimmy Iyner did. And he had or was working with, at the time, acts like Three Dog Night and the Bay City Rollers. Uh, Grand Funk continued their transition to pop rock oriented songs. And they had hits like Some Kind of Wonderful and Bad Time. Yeah. 
As you probably could have guessed, this change in musical direction caused some inter-band turmoil starting in the mid-70s. Uh, Farner was going through a divorce. Members of the band were getting burned out. Don Brewer's wife had died at the time. Uh, the, the, they actually needed two more albums to fulfill their deal they had with Capitol Records. So they recorded a double live album titled Caught in the Act, which is a really nice live record. They thought that because it was a double live album, that this would, it was a double album, it would fulfill that their two record or two album uh, obligation to the uh, record company's label. But unfortunately, the band included previously released material on it. So Capitol Records told them, nah, can't do that. They needed to do another album to fulfill their contract. So in 1976, they released their 10th studio album, Born to Die. And I really think that the album title is perfect because this is where Grand Funk really began to die as a musical act, as a revolutionary hard rock, rock and roll band. Uh, rumors of breakup were circulating at that time. Members became distant from each other. The album didn't do well in sales or singles. There wasn't really a single from the album. Sales were dismal. But they had finished their contract with Capitol Records with this 10th studio album. Grand Funk disbanded. But they then caught the interest of the renowned Frank Zappa. And they signed with MCA Records to kind of give it one last college try in August of 76. Uh, they released their 11th studio album titled Good Singing, Good Playing. Uh, Zappa produced it. Frank Zappa actually produced the Grand Funk Railroad album. And he even played lead guitar on um, a song called Out to Get You. The album wasn't a hit. During the recording, the Grand Funk decided to break up for good. Even with Frank Zappa trying to get them together, he couldn't do it. He couldn't hold them on. He couldn't, he couldn't keep them together. Um, Grand Funk ceased to exist for the next five years. Uh, Mark Farner went on to do solo work. Don Brewer, Shaker, uh, Frost formed the band named Flint for Flint, Michigan. They did that for a while. Um, Grand Funk reunited or kind of somewhat reunited in 81 uh, without Frost, who remember, like I said before, went on to play when Bob Seger's Silver Bullet Band and they didn't reunite with Shaker as well. Grand Funk, kind of not. I mean, you only have two of the original members. Uh, this version of Grand Funk released two albums on Full Moon Records. In 81, they released Grand Funk Lives. And in 83, they released an album called What's Funk. Both albums were not successes. They could not reach the pinnacle that they did before in the early to mid-70s. And the only success on this album, the What's Funk, or the only success on the um, Grand Funk Lives album was a track called Queen Bee. And it, it, it the only reason it was a success is because it found its way onto the uh, film soundtrack Heavy Metal in 81 and it's on that soundtrack and it's the only real success they got from that uh, in 83 they ceased to exist again after the release of what's funk farner went back to solo work don Bo don brewer 
at the time joined the Silver Bullet Band. And remember, again, like I said, Frost was already a member of the Silver Bullet Band. 13 years later, Grand Funk's original power trio, Farner, Brewer, Shaker, reunited. They played a 14-show tour over three months. Farner left again in 1998. So again, you have this back and forth, back and forth. We get together for a short time. We get some music out there. We disband. Then we get to better again. Then we disband. And then over the last 20 years, so from about 2000 to now, uh, Grand Funk expanded into other members, including uh, Max Carl of 38 Special, uh, Bruce Kulik of Kiss. Uh, the current lineup of the band is Don Brewer on lead and backing vocals and drums, Mel Shaker on bass guitar, Max Carl on lead and backing vocals and rhythm guitar, Tim Cashin on keyboards and backing vocals, and Bruce Kulik on lead guitar and backing vocals. Uh, they continued to tour as a band into 2019. And of course, they haven't done anything in 2020 because everything has hit the fan in 2020 and there are no current live tours. Uh, Grand Funk is rarely mentioned as a rock and roll great, but you really can't talk about the early years of rock, hard rock music without discussing them. They were the epitome of 1970s rock and roll. They played the packed arenas. They sold out live shows, arena shows, internationally and internationally. They forged a way for rock to become what it had throughout the 70s, into the 80s, the 90s, and into the 2000s. So Grand Funk Railroad is one of the originators of modern hard rock. I've got a few new rock music recommendations for you. There is a lot of great music coming out during this pandemic. When people are not able to be together, it seems that people are, are putting out some great stuff. So the first song is by a band that I've talked about here on this podcast before. If you go all the way back to episode 23, all the way back to August of 2019, you can hear me speak to the lead singer, Nick Reese, of this band. It's Joyous Wolf. They released a new single three days ago. The song is called Odyssey. And it's another one of those positive, uplifting, kick-ass rock songs that I love to listen to. So check out Joyous Wolf's EP they released last year. It's called Place and Time. It's fantastic, in-your-face rock EP. But here is a bit of Odyssey.
Adelita's Way released a new song called Shine On about a week or two ago. I'd love to get these guys on the show sometime. I have really, I've had gotten some interest from them and I'd love to chat with them. But this Shine On is another positive rock song. And you probably get sick of me bringing up positive rock music, but it's what we need. For sure, in this timeline that we live in, we need some more positivity. So let's give Shine On a listen. Shine on, let your love shine bright, leave a light on.
And the third and last song I'll profile today is something that surprised the hell out of me. It was released just under a month ago at the end of May, and I had no idea about it. I don't know how I completely missed it, but I completely missed it. Uh, Alien Ant Farm released a pretty cool version of Wham's Everything She Wants. Yes, I said Alien Ant Farm. The guys that did one of the best cover songs ever was Smooth Criminal back in 2001. That, that, 2001, that was, nine, God dang, 19 years ago. It doesn't seem that long. Either time flies or I'm getting old or both or whatever. Anyways, uh, this time Alien Ant Farm emerged from Core Ant Team. See what I did there? And did a version of a Wham! Classic. Let's listen to this. I'm going to play the entire song well because uh, I feel like it. I, I, I love it. I love the song. The video is pretty cool too if you can check it out on YouTube. But I, like I said, I completely missed this song and Alien Ant Farm debuting it. So here is Alien Ant Farm's version of Wham's Everything She Wants.
When this virus stuff gets sorted out and we get back to live rock shows, go check out Joyous Wolf. Go check out Adelita's Way. These guys are up-and-coming rock bands. They put on kick-ass shows. I've seen both a few times now and haven't left disappointed in any way, shape, or form. I'm not sure if Alien Ant Farm still tours, but their new release made me so happy to hear. First, it's, it's, it's Alien Ant Farm, and second, it's a cover of Wham! or George Michael. So it, it's perfection, in my opinion. Oh, yeah! All right, folks, that just about does it for this episode of Nobody Asked You, Kevin. Sorry for the delay in episodes. I've been working on getting my other podcast, Dose Makes the Poison and the Toxcast, off the ground. And, well, I've kind of been a little lazy, too. Uh, If you want some science and pop culture talk, go search for Dose Makes the Poison and the Toxcast and give it a listen. I'm going to try to get back on a more regular schedule with this podcast with one to two episodes every month. So if you are a fan of Nobody Asked You, Kevin, stay tuned. There will be a lot more coming for this show. If you want to get in touch with me or anything else, you can find me on the socials at Forensic Talks Guy on Twitter. The show is at Asked Kevin, A-S-K-E-D-K-E-V-I-N. On Facebook, go search for the Nobody Asked You, Kevin podcast page. Give it a like. Email me. Nobody asked you, Kevin at gmail.com. Hit up the blog at nobody asked you, Kevin podcast.blogspot.com. And lastly, leave a podcast review at Apple Podcasts. It brings legitimacy to the show. Or so I'd like to think it does. I mean, if you want to come on the podcast, be interviewed by me, send me a message. If you would, but again, though, if you'd kindly leave a, a, a podcast review, that's very helpful. Very much appreciated. So until next time, and as always, much love to all of you. Black Lives Matter. Fuck police brutality. And quite honestly, why haven't Breonna Taylor's killers been arrested yet? Peace. I'm sitting here lonely like a a broken man I serve my time doing the best I can Walls and bars, they surround me But I don't want no sympathy
water running through my veins. They try and drag me back to work again. Pain and blisters on my mind and hands. I work all day making up a, a burlap bag. Driving me wild I feel a happy like a newborn child Now when my time is up You wait and see These walls and bars Won't keep that stuff from me No, no, baby Won't keep that stuff from me
Come on up and uh, get down with me. I make it feel real good. Just a way to see. 